Uh, we are in our third week of our little series, Beholding the Light, Jesus Meeting People in the Darkness. And if you haven't caught the theme yet, we are focusing in on how Christ comes to those who are in need of illumination of his love, of his light, and of his truth. And this week, I get the privilege of talking about doubting and skeptical people in the dark. Now, I want to open with kind of an illustration. Um, When I was 16, uh, my dad wanted me to go to our family reunion, which is a huge deal to to his side of the family. Um, But I wanted to drive myself. I didn't want to go with him because, you know, I'm 16. He's like, all right, all right, whatever. And they were going to leave way earlier because, again, I was 16. He's like, I want to sleep in. It's Saturday. So he gave me directions. And if you've ever like been around an old southern dude it's not east west road names it's the tree in the the supermarket in this tractor that might still be in that field right so he gave me directions on how to get to my uncle's farm which is about an hour away and not somewhere i had driven before um or even paid attention to how we got there as a child um, i just kind of knew where i was going to land and uh, my dad sketched out these directions for me, and I set off on my little journey. And about halfway through, I found myself in some serious doubt because I didn't recognize anything. I was like, I am lost in the middle of North Florida. There's nothing around me. So I kept driving, kept looking for his little signs and this and that. Um, Got a little sketchy because one uh, one of his directions was turned by this really old oak tree that's in front of this uh, house and they had torn all that down. Luckily I managed to find my way but the whole time I was doubting myself more and more and more my doubting my dad's instructions. This was pre-cell phone by the way so I could not just call my parents be like hey I'm lost. It was I gotta figure this out. I gotta pay attention to these directions that I, I trust my dad in, in giving me because I know he grew up here. And little by little, I, I, I just start recognizing pieces. Okay, oh yeah, yeah, I think I know that. I think I know that. And then I remember turning onto the street that the, the farmland is on and instantly recognized the house in the distance. I'm like, oh, I've made it. And it was literally like coming out of the darkness into the light because I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense now. So I want to I put that on your brain today as we talk about doubts and skepticism. Some of you in here may be someone that is fully skeptical of Christianity, and you've been coming because someone loves you and you trust them, but you're still not sure about this truth that they're claiming. Stay on the journey. It might be weird. It might come to like, oh, you know, he's talking about this, and that just doesn't make sense to me. That's fine. Stay on the journey. Now, others of you may be Christians. You fully believe in the truth of Jesus but there's things that challenge you. There's things you don't really understand quite yet, and that's okay. So as we walk through this story of doubting Thomas and how Jesus came to him, wherever you land on that spectrum, know that you are welcomed and encouraged to explore your doubts. For one, God can handle it. And two, we want you to do that here at The Grove. That is what we like people to do. Have honest conversations about doubt in light of the truth of Christ. So I hope you feel that today. I hope you don't feel any other way than welcomed, encouraged, loved 
Um, but we do want to challenge because there is a truth, and it is Christ. So if that is challenging to you, that's what we're trying to do, challenge you to think about truth. So let's, uh, let's get into our scripture today. It's in John 20. So this is the last uh, story in John. This kind of is the, the, uh, the backside bookend of all of John's testimony about Christ and his last example of Jesus coming to a person here. So John 20, starting in verse 19, going through 29. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm going to send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand out and place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. So our first point right here, Thomas the Doubting Disciple. Now, if you've read through John, which I encourage you to do, it's an awesome book, you will notice something about his disciples, you know, Thomas being one of them. They witnessed a, a lot of, of who Jesus was claiming to be along their three-year journey in life with them. I mean, they, they saw Jesus um, speak against Pharisees that were these the most learned people of their their. Um, community with authority, and those people were like, oh yeah. They saw Jesus do miracles, like multiplying a, a kid's lunch to feed a mass of thousands of people. They heard him uh, hush a storm with words. They saw him speak truth uh, into sickness, and that sickness flee. And they saw him raise the dead on three separate occasions. And they were there when Jesus was proclaiming all the time, the scriptures proclaim of me, I am the Messiah. And specifically here, like Thomas would have heard Jesus say, you kill me, you destroy this temple, I'll raise it in three days. So he heard all of that. And what I find very, very uh, interesting and convicting to myself Thomas himself, when he was uh, with the, the disciples upon hearing Lazarus' death, um, and they were kind of concerned, if we go down there and Jesus shows up and the right, right people are there, we might be killed. It was Thomas who said, let's go with Jesus to our death. Right? So 
He was a disciple, a follower, someone who was all in. He was walking with Christ, ride or die, right? Like, we're going we're gonna to go to our deaths, guys. Let's do it. But now we read chapter 20, and something has changed in Thomas. The first hint of this is he's not with his friends, right? He got out of the car. He's not riding or dying. He's like, I'm out. We don't know why. We can speculate, though. I mean, if, we, if you've ever uh, had a tragedy in your life, a loss, or you're going through hard times, oftentimes we retreat, right? It's human nature to be like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, mm, to deal with my own stuff over here in the dark. Because you have to be vulnerable with people when you're struggling, and it's easier to not. But I would challenge you that the difficulty it takes to be vulnerable and let people into your hurt, your pain, your mess is worth it. Because they're going to see things that you can't possibly see when you're in the dark. That's what Thomas is doing here. I, I, would, I would speculate. He is running. He's running from his unbelief. Follow Jesus to the, to the garden where Jesus was arrested, and they all freaked out and left. They abandoned Christ. So I'm sure there's all sorts of emotions there. He's beating himself up. And then he hears about Christ's crucifixion and death, and that's like the nail in the coffin for him. He's like, what? Is this over? Like, what happened? And like Pastor David said earlier, he begins to believe his doubt rather than the truth he's seen with his own eyes. He believes that Jesus is gone forever. So no, he's not in the room with the other ten. He's somewhere else. But the ten being his community, his friends, the people that loved him. And if you've ever, if you've ever walked with people through a mission like they did, if you've ever been in the military or, or done hard things or gone on mission trips or, or what, whatever, you know the camaraderie that you build when you're fighting to do something with these people. And it's immensely difficult, challenging, and maybe dangerous. You become siblings, brothers and sisters. You become a family. So they were after their brother. They're like, hey, where's Thomas? He's got he's to know. So they, filled with the Holy Spirit, go find Thomas, wherever he's at. Start witnessing to him. Say, Thomas, Thomas, man, Jesus is back. We have seen him. Right? And I'm sure he's conflicted. I'm sure he's like, you know, I, you guys would not lie to me. I know you love me. We've been through a lot together. I just, I don't know. I want to believe you, but it's too good to be true. And how many of us are like that, right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Don't worry. I got your back. Look at the flowers. Look at the birds. They're not worried. You shouldn't worry. I love you more. And we're like, I don't know. That sounds too good to be true. So we retreat. We believe our unbelief. Become skeptical. Skeptical. Now, some of us have good reason, because we don't know Jesus. Like some of you out there, you don't know who, who he is. You're listening to your friends tell you who he is, but you don't know him. Okay. That is totally fine. Keep listening. But some of us have been with Jesus, watching him work, seeing the miracle of salvation all around us, experiencing that very thing in our life. And yet, we still retreat into doubt. So we're not told how or why Thomas was absent. 
But what's important is in the very next verses, he's with them. Refusing to believe for sure. Unless I touch him, as I see him, put my hand in his side, which is gross, by the way. I will not believe. That's his ultimatum. That's what he puts on the table before his friends. But he also puts that on the table before God, whether he realizes it or not. We do that too. I will believe if. Right? Sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, but we do it. Lean into how Jesus responds here. Jesus shows up. And he gives Thomas exactly what he wants. He says, uh, or he shows it, peace, peace be with you. Thomas, see my hands. See the scars? See my side? Take your hand. Put it right in here, right? Believe. Don't disbelieve. He shows up on Thomas's terms, meets them, without Thomas realizing that that's exactly what he needed. See, I think Thomas was, was thinking he was being smart. Like, okay, guys, yeah, you claim this. You claim this truth. I need definitive material proof. I want to see Jesus in the flesh. And I think a little bit of him being weak in his doubt wanted them to be like, oh, we can't do that. Right? But Jesus in his omniscience, his omnipresence, his Godhood heard Thomas through the Holy Spirit in these men and said, all right, I got you, Thomas. And he shows up. He's like, all right, Thomas, hands, look, see through him, side, believe. Don't disbelieve. And Thomas does. Jesus guides him out of the darkness of his doubt into the light. And what we see here is a beautiful recreation of Thomas the doubter to Thomas the herald of the king. And I love what John does here. He gives Thomas the privilege of being the first disciple in his gospel to proclaim that Jesus is God. So he goes from Thomas the doubter to this herald saying, my Lord and my God. So Jesus is the friend of Thomas. He loves Thomas exactly the way he needs to be loved. He meets Thomas on his terms, but he doesn't leave him there. So after Thomas has made his proclamation, Jesus, being the good teacher, takes the opportunity to speak to Thomas, but also, again, in his omniscience, to, to speak to all future believers, the readers of this gospel, us. So he says to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Now, this can, this can uh, be looked at as kind of a, a gentle correction, kind of like, all right, you believe now. It took you seeing me to believe me? Now, this correction isn't about, oh, you know, how dare you need some kind of proof. You know, Jesus is not correcting that. We need proof. That's okay. What he's saying to Thomas is, you had proof. You walked with me for three years. That was your proof. 
You believe now that you've seen me resurrected? You had all the proof you needed before I died to believe that I would be resurrected. So he's rebu rebuking Thomas's unbelief of not what he needs to see, but what he's already seen and then didn't believe in it. That was his rebuke. And that rebuke is the bridge that leads him to the truth. He's like, blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. So now he's speaking to all of us. He's speaking to everybody that will come to belief in Christ once he ascends into heaven and sends the Holy Spirit to the church who then witness on his behalf. And Thomas is like this, this type this person that's a hinge from like old covenant stuff to new covenant stuff. Like Jesus in the flesh walked with them, showed them, ascends. Now it's Holy Spirit driven witness by the church to those who are doubting and skeptical, who might be curious enough to be led to believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So right there, if if you are struggling with skepticism, you're like, man, I really want to believe this stuff, but it is so far-fetched. Keep poking at that wound. Keep listening to those that love you. Keep leaning in, reading the Bible, asking for clarity, and you, you might find that God meets you on your terms. But remember, he's not going to leave you there. He's going to guide you to his. I also love here that Jesus reinstates Thomas from disciple, doubting disciple, to a proclaiming apostle. So an apostle is basically the, the foundational leaders of the church. They were the ones that set the tone and, and, and were the foundation of the Christian church as, as we know it. So he cared for Thomas so much that he wanted to continue to use him despite the doubts. And he gave the disciples the mission. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit because I got to go. It's better for me to go than for me to stay. I'm limited in this human form. I could be with you guys. But if I give you the Spirit, I can indwell you through that Spirit. And all of you can go everywhere and bring the good news of the gospel to everyone. So it is better that I go. So he gives this mission to them. So that they could be the witnesses to all of us through the word, but also through those that might believe. And that leads me to my third point. Jesus, he's a friend of you. He wants you to see that he loves you enough to come to you on your terms and lead you to his. So wherever you are in your unbelief, whether you're a skeptic, and you feel like you're walking around in a dark room looking for a light switch and you can't quite find it, or you're a believer and you're struggling with this one area where your sins got you cornered, and you truly are struggling with this, this unbelief and it's leading you in, in this one area of life to trust your sin rather than God, Jesus meets you there. And he guides you through his scripture, but he also guides you through a community of fellow believers, people that love you, that want to see you travel from this place of doubt to a place of belief. 
shameless plug here. We have disciple group. The church is designed. The body supports itself through various members and leads you to from unbelief to belief. If you're interested in that, come see me. So Jesus comes, and it's like he, he re-proclaims his gospel to Thomas in these few words. And I can imagine Thomas's brain, because I know I do this. Like, his three-year life, life with Jesus on mission starts flashing before his eyes, and he just sees everything that he went, went through with Jesus in a matter of seconds, and it all starts making sense. Everything starts connecting, and he starts saying, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. And then he gets to the end of that, and it's, it's like the, di- the, darkly, uh, the dark room starts being lit up dimly, and then brighter and brighter and brighter. And then he steps into belief, and it's like this beautiful uh, sunlit day, blue sky, and Jesus is waiting on him there. Everything's making sense. The only way this could happen is through Christ's death on the cross and resurrection. And Thomas is recalling Christ walking from the shore of the boats where they, he started accumulating and recruiting his guys. Talking about the reality. He's like, hey, I'm not from here. I'm sent. I'm the son of God. I came from heaven. Decided before creation ever existed that this is how it's going to have to happen. Because man can't do it. Your sin encumbers you from saving yourself. So I've, I'm going to come, live a perfect life. I'm going to walk straight to the death that the very creatures that I created will use against me. All so that I, the Son of God, can pay for your sin debt. Then I'll die. I'll be dead, smelly dead, three days but I'm going to rebuild that temple. And I'm going to come back. I'm going to claim what is mine, and I'm going to give it to all of those who would follow me. And then they are going to continue the mission with my indwelling spirit all over the planet. And this is what Thomas's belief showed him. And he's like, yeah, now it makes sense. So as the church, we are called to be friends of skeptics. All through history, the church was the the group that came to those who were outcasts, the ones that were thrown out because they were too far gone with disease. And there's just go out there and die. We don't want your disease. Christians adopted and and oftentimes healed them. They're the ones that would go to to the nationless people and give them a nation. They would adopt orphans. They would go to places knowing that they're not going to leave that place, but for the sake of Christ, I'm going to go. They've been friends of skeptics all through history, and that is our calling. So this last point, this, this is a benediction, which is a call to action for the Christians in the room, for the church. You are called to this place, this time, wherever you are, to be a friend of those who don't know Christ. You've been specifically wired with your personality, specifically gifted with the things of your life, all to be tools for the kingdom 
and weapons against the adversary to show those who might be curious enough to walk with you while you explain belief. And all the while, we lean on God's powerful and Holy Spirit to do the work in the hearts of these people as we herald the news of King Jesus. That is our calling. It's a difficult calling. But most things that matter are difficult and costly. So church, as we worship God today, may we be a body with beautifully broken and bruised feet and rough calloused hands and be the people that go, that work, that show the truth of Jesus through our lives, however we've been wired and called. Amen. God, we thank you so much for this time to come and be reminded that you are big enough, capable enough to handle whatever doubts and skepticism we can throw at you. And that you love us enough that you don't leave us alone in that. You send people to love us well. Lord, I acknowledge that people don't always want that, that that's hard. That can be even feel intrusive, but please soften our hearts. Soften the hearts of those that that want to keep an arm's length. Show them their need of community. Show them their need of you. And then show them Jesus through that community. Lord, we thank you for this word, and we ask you to continue sinking it deep in our hearts and souls and minds. And pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.